Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 206 and this episode is with the Head of Academy Performance at Nottingham Forest and also Welsh FA sports scientist Ronan Kavanagh. Roman came on and we discussed adapting his approach or how he adapts his approach for his role with his club um, but also with Wales. We spoke about the process of building youth players to elite performers and this was actually a topic that someone reached out when we put out on our Instagram and our social media about topics they would like to see discussed. This was one topic so we covered that, we talked about the transition from development to performance, we spoke about managing individuals, we also touched on uh, biobanding and then we also spoke about the influence or whether there is still an influence of monitoring or testing data on player development decisions in academy football as well and what his experience has been on that too. So we covered plenty in this episode and I hope you enjoy the episode with Ronan. Before we get into it I've got to say a huge thank you to everybody that made it out to our event at Celtics training ground uh, last week as this podcast goes out. We had around 36 coaches um, at the event from clubs right across Scotland and also some from England as well. Really good event. The speakers from the club were absolutely fantastic. Anton, John and also Andy Bowles gave incredible presentations about the work they're doing up at Celtic and how um, the transition from B team works right through to first team level and how they're preparing players for the demands of the Champions League as well. So there's some great insights into the work being done at Celtic. Those presentations will be available on our community very soon. Um, but a huge thank you to everyone who made it out. I'm not 100% sure whether this will be available at the time of this podcast going out hopefully it will be but i'm going to give you a little sneak preview i I put a few teasers out on socials and also on our email list about our next event thursday the 27th of october we are going to be at west brom we have three uh, presentations lined up firstly from tony strudwick we've also got tom page and matt bickley all presenting for us at that event If tickets are available as this podcast goes out, just go to footballfitfed.com, click the shop tab and they will be available there. It's set to be a great event, really excited for this one, so go and check that out. That is Thursday the 27th of October, 6 till 9pm at West Brom. Also, before I get into the episode, I've just been looking on our um, reviews over on the podcast platform, and our last review is actually over a year ago now, so I'd love to get some more reviews of the podcast. There's loads of people that reach out to me after these episodes and give feedback, but if you could translate them into reviews as well, I really would appreciate it, because it will help to grow the show. So if you leave a review after listening to this episode, please screenshot it. And either send it over on social media or on email, mail at footballfitfed.com, and I'll send you out a free copy of one of our ebooks as a thank you. So just screenshot your review, leave us a five star review, a short comment just around the, the best guest that we've had on, the topic that you've liked being covered, or generally just what you like about the podcast. Click the five stars, screenshot it, either send it on social media or email it to mail at footballfitfed.com. And I will send you out a little thank you gift, a little free book 
um, just to say thank you, but I really would appreciate it to get a few more reviews on there. Just finally, before we get into the episode, I've got to say a huge thank you to our sponsors, Rezzle, and I hope you enjoy episode 206 with Ronan Kavanagh. Rezzle is the world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Whatever your team, your sport, your ability, improve your game and train like a pro. Rezzle, Rezzle. Reactions, performance, accuracy, stamina, resilience. Train at home in the Rezzle Sports and Fitness VR Training Arena. Search Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L. Harder, stronger, smarter. The world's number one virtual reality sports trainer. Available now on MetaQuest. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 206 and I'm delighted to welcome onto the podcast today, Ronan Kavanagh. Ronan, how are we? Yeah, not too bad, you? I'm good, mate. I'm good. We've got a lot lot to cover in this one. Let's uh, let's dive in. You can see anyone that's on video will be able to um, get a little inkling into one of Ronan's current roles at the moment. I'm sure we'll go into that in a second. But, mate, give us a little bit of background um, on yourself. Yeah, so um, I obviously did my uni, did sports and exercise science in UL back in Ireland. Um, did that, obviously did, it's a four-year degree back in Ireland. Did that, went working with Stat Sports then up in Dundalk, was doing all the GPS stuff for them. After a period of time, then they started sending me out to clubs, doing bits and pieces, um, went out to loads of different clubs. And like that was actually a really good experience because it's almost like, you're paid to kind of network. You know what I mean? You go around, you dive into different clubs, you meet new people. And then like, so I'm still chatting to people now I met when I was when I was working at Stat Sports. Um, then through Stat Sports, I was working, I got placed in with the Welsh FA. Um, and I've been doing that kind of for the past almost 10 years. So you basically sports science support, that sort of thing. Um, then... Through the Wales gig, I ended up getting a gig at Preston. Again, just through people you meet from doing the Wales stuff. Was at um, Preston for 18 months, then went to Burnley. Uh, was at Burnley for six years. Um, and then uh, last November, I got the head of academy performance job at Forest. Brilliant. Any Preston fans listening, apologies about the Preston to Burnley connection. <laughs> I'll tell you one, yeah. <laughs> brilliant mate well um let's get into it so one thing i wanted to start or kick us off with is how your approach differs from club to country so what jumps out to you when we talk about that um it's kind of it it's kind of changed a bit um over the years i remember when i started at burnley and i was kind of heavily kind of gps and numbers led and it's like you kind of, you get caught up in your own little bubbles, don't you? So I remember like talking to players or talking to international staff when we were sending players away and we're like, well, we'd really only like the player to do this amount or we'd like him to do this or can you look after him here? And it's like, you know, you kind of expect that. But at the same time then with my international hat on, you're a little bit like, well, actually we need them to do what they need to do. Um, in order to play the game and it's like it's hard because you're like from a club point of view as much as the player wants to you're a little bit like at the club point of view well we need them to play our games and then the international break from a club point of view is almost an inconvenience but then 
then when you're international, you can't wait. You can't wait to get into the international camp and get your hands on the boys and, and do a little bit. In terms of, in terms of like my philosophy and how it's different. Um, obviously, you have non-negotiables and stuff when you're when you're coaching the lads. You have you like them to hit some people velocity stuff you like them to do you know maybe a small space day followed by a big space day and then taper into the game um it's a lot different at international because in general you get the lads on it like this week as an example we got the lads yesterday most of them are on a second day recovery you don't want to take any kind of big risks with them because number one they're not your players and number two you've got a game and we're we're on minus two already so our minus three was kind of a secondary recovery. So our minus two automatically becomes a little bit bigger because what you end up with is you need to do some bigger tactical stuff. You either do it on the day when they're probably not optimally recovered or you do it on the day that might be a little bit too close to the game. So that's like a catch-22, but yeah, you have to do it somewhere. And we, in general, tend to do it on the, on the minus two. Um, and then, yeah, your minus one is a minus one, probably regardless of where you are. Um, and that's that's pretty much it. It's definitely um, a much more aggressive approach when when you're in clubland, particularly in like academy um, in academy uh, settings, because you want to get after them, you want to develop them, you want them to know no, we can we can go beyond this, we can kind of kick on a little bit. Like so. As an example, when I went into Forest, we we do like a lot of tempo running stuff on the minus two when we need to, just to get a good volume of high speed running. Obviously, good for hamstring health and everything else. Um, but what you end up with is you end up with quite high volumes on the minus two, whereas some people see it and they go, "Jesus, that's that's a lot." But like, if you get it in the right way and get your work to rest ratio right the boys don't have any additional soreness going into it and stuff like that. So you're kind of okay. So you're able to get a little bit more work into them on the minus two. Yeah, Brill. And what about when you're in the, um, in the Wales camp, what about dealing with the individuals? So there's obviously going to be some boys, I'm guessing now after that amount of time, you know him pretty well, but when players are coming from various clubs and you maybe not getting, you don't have to name names, but not getting as much information as you might like, how easy is it then to get the right work into them at the right time? To be fair, clubs are now, like, I remember when I started, it was like, it was a little bit of a guessing game, but now clubs are really good at just getting across. I mean, when I started, like some clubs weren't using GPS all that well. And it was like, you were getting bits and pieces. I mean, bear in mind, because we cover a broad spectrum of where people are coming from, some of the League One lads at the time might even have had GPS, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, but it's way better now. Every, we, we send out the forms, uh, basically asking for a couple of weeks worth of data, like everyone does now. You get that in, you find out where, where their big hits are. But, but like I say, we're literally just recovering and then kind of tapering into the games. Um. You know, Strud's here is is big on the recovery aspect and, and making sure the boys recover properly um, to make sure they can kind of go again. Um, and, and that's the same because I, what's kind of changed is previously when you used to have friendlies that you kind of had or didn't have to play, um, we'd get away with it because we wouldn't have a friendly. So we just do one qualifier and then you could do a nice four-day lead-in and it'd be spot on. But now the Nations League means there's 
games you have to play. So yeah. that that changes it because now it becomes um, now it becomes recover, go again, recover, go again, use the squad uh, as as best you can. But previously, when I first started, we were like, no, we won't do a friendly. We'll have a four day lead in and and really prep them, and then uh, obviously recover from the game and go again after that. But you had a much better training block just because you were afforded more time because you didn't need the friendlies. Yeah. And what you just mentioned there about the recovery being um, a, a key sort of focus, obviously yeah. is in the club setting as well and will be definitely this season. Um, what sort of strategy do you take with that, with the, with the boys at Wales? I mean, we've all, over the years, we've done loads of different bits and pieces. We've had the, the cryo in, we've got the... We've got cryo in. I mean, in general, it's a lot of soft tissue stuff. They spend a lot of time with the medics. We kind of blitz them with as much nutrition interventions as we can. And and that's pretty much it. That's pretty much standard across the board, I think. I don't think we're doing anything too off the wall. I know the, the RFU have, have let us use their cryo a couple of times as well. And we've had a really short turnaround. Um, but then COVID kind of changed that because you couldn't get bodies into the chamber for it to be for it to be worth your while but yeah just in general making sure the lads sleep properly making sure they're fueled properly and stuff like that and and we're kind of okay with it I'm guessing with a a squad like that now the boys are pretty much set on which strategies they're going to go with anyway yeah they they all know exactly what kind of what they're doing some of them like to get some soft tissue work some of them like to just spend time in the game ready some like to spend a little bit longer and in the beds, um, some get into the pool, some do the ice baths, some don't. And it's like, we don't have them for long enough to try and get like a real cultural change where you're trying to drag people into the ice bath because I think you, you can potentially lose them that way. You can coax them in a little bit, but it's like, if you start making people do stuff, I think that's where you can, you can lose them. You can convince them, yeah, but, you know, making stuff more forceful, I think, can make you... It's, it's not in the right time when to push and when not to, I think. Yeah. And what's interesting, I suppose, is that in comparison between both your roles, because obviously that being the first team environment and then the academy environment, is it is that different? If we take recovery, for example, obviously the players at, at Forest are in much more of a developmental phase of their career. So... Does your approach to like recovery strategies, for example, differ? Is it more about educating at that point rather than just supporting it at first team level? Yeah, hundred percent. And you kind of you kind of have to make them do it because like it's like with the younger ones, you have to because you're trying to go no, lads. This is you're educating them. You're saying this is beneficial. You'll feel better for having do, done it. Yeah, it's like it is. It's a bit of a mad one for me at the moment because you're dealing with lads that you're you're trying to get through and you're trying to educate and develop and, and get them to be the best they can be. And then on the other ones, you're dealing with more seasoned pros who know what works with the, works for them. Yeah. So it is interesting and it's a varied experience and it's good, but it's like, yeah, it's, um, it's a tricky one, but you're much more kind of um, directed in your approach with the academy boys and said, no, look, you have to do it. This is why you're doing it. And, and, to be fair, it works because the academy boys know where they're at and they understand they need to learn and they understand they need to to do it this way and they need to learn. They've also, I suppose, not had the scope and 
experience to develop those own strategies yet, have they? Like that, they are still at that level. Yeah, exactly that. And sometimes then it comes down to facilities a little bit, and like you know, for example, at Burnley we had a cryo and everything else, and but um, we don't have that at Forest, and and you're just trying to mix it, not mix and match, but adapt and and work with what you've got a little bit. You know what I mean? We don't have a huge support supply of game readies and stuff like that like we do at Wales you know, you know what I mean so stuff like that and just players kind of finding their own way a little bit yeah definitely I wanted to focus this episode on the process of building youth players to not only just high performers but elite performers elite level performers elite level players and one thing obviously within that process is this transition and I know it's very much a crossover not a not a um straightforward transition from one to the other but from development focus to performance focus so how how has that worked in the role like how does that um inform your practice yeah it's um it's a hard one because like obviously we do i would say we do quite high volumes at forest we do high volumes of total distance high volumes of work again same in the gym as well we're, we're quite aggressive with them in the gym and it's like sometimes, and this was the same at Burnley, by the way, you, you have a setup where players are going, again, probably from a high structure environment to then going into the first team where it's all about the starting 11 on Saturday. And Because in general, when when they're needed to go up, it, it's for 11 v 11 or it's, it's, a, it's a numbers issue, you know what I mean? So they're needed as a body to go up. So it's like, they go up and, and they do stuff and, and technically it's it's more demanding with the first team and tactically it's more demanding. We like to say that potentially physically they'll be okay because they've done way more than with the academy. So like, um, and I actually did some research with that at Burnley where you basically had, we compared weekly loads for one and two game weeks between um, first team and academy. Um and what we found was the thing that best probably prepared academy players for first team demands was when they played two game weeks. So, so that was um, quite interesting from our point of view. As well as that, we we compared weekly loads, and sometimes we found that stuff like high speed running might be quite similar, total distance might be quite similar, um, and you know, your generic uh, sprint distance might be quite similar. But when you start to individualize it, like distance above MAS or time above MAS, that was actually significantly different between the first team and the academy. So the first team were doing more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the academy might have been doing more sprint distance, if I remember correctly. So stuff like that, where you actually go, right, well, when you look at the generic figures, they're doing the same. But when you individualize it based on their own physical capacities, the loads look slightly different. Um, so it's just kind of managing that a little bit and do, doing the best you can. Um, in terms of the transition, then it's kind of picking up the pieces when they come back from being with the first team and making sure probably that the loading is, is at least consistent. You know what I mean? And I'm not, I'm not a big one for chasing numbers either. I don't like the idea of going, right, he has to do 40K this week or he has to do you know 2000 meters high speed running and it's like well no because if if you high speed run to a good level if you 
if you get your work to rest ratios right in the football or if you get your work to rest ratios right in the conditioning you can probably still get an aerobic stimulus without covering huge amounts of distance um high speed running again if, if you can tax those energy systems properly you're in a better place than just covering huge volumes of high speed running and then are you getting enough peak speed exposures in during the week and they're kind of your non-negotiables in terms of that you know what i mean yeah 100 percent. yeah no it's, it's interesting isn't it because that's a real key time for players when they're between squads i suppose isn't it when they're stepping up to first team but not fully first team squad members at that point yeah. Um. And yeah, that, that that's, that's where that data becomes important. But like you say, not to lean on it too much, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And, and what we ended up doing with uh, Burnley was we actually had someone whose part of their role was to to keep an eye on the data for the lads in that transition period and top them up as they stuff it or you know ease off them. Like in general, it it didn't need easing off because the player would end up being up there for 11 v 11 or something then coming away or warming up and, and doing a little bit of shape and then coming away but making sure that they still got a decent hit depending on what day of the week they were in their periodization before they went into their game um, and making sure they didn't miss out on a hit or miss out on some conditioning or whatever yeah so you mentioned about the two game weeks looking like our best prepares players is there anything else that jumps out in terms of getting players ready for that first team environment? Um, no, uh, I'm trying to think. Like, I mean, we've had lads go up and then when they come back, they're visibly sharper having trained with the first team. And it's like, you know, training's not the same because, you know, we've had it before and I've spoke to other people and it's like, oh, well, the metres per minute, as an example, isn't as high at academy level within training, but that's because it's, developmental there's more coaching going on you know what I mean so you do mm. have to potentially stop it more coaches have to stop it more um, in terms of preparing them be beyond that you know I don't I think and, and Warren Joyce at Forest is a big uh, kind of advocate of this is where you know you, you tax them physically so when they go up when they go up to the first team it's it it's easy so they don't need to worry about any golf and physicality so they go up and they can just concentrate on more technical and tactical stuff um and and i i do yeah i agree with them to a to a point but you definitely want to send the boys up as a, as a physical animal and we always had it even at preston when the young boys come up they'd be top of the running in pre-season and, and that's kind of what you want you want them to to be chomping at the bit a little bit and you want them to be to be pushing it on. In terms of that physicality as well, I know different clubs take, take different approaches to this and it'll be interesting to see what you've seen. But this is where the loan market is used quite a lot, isn't it, as well? Especially younger academy players going out to lower league clubs. Is that something that the club looked to do or if you've had any experience with that? Yeah, the forest so far Touchwood um, this season it's been it's been successful. We've got two lads out on loan at Mansfield who are playing now and doing really well. Um, we've got another at Reading. We've got another at Carlisle, and and it's it's hard because he, uh, those players go and they play games and they're doing really well, and that's a hundred percent the best thing for them. Um, and then. Yeah, your, your 21s then are obviously probably a little bit weaker because those strong players have gone 
um, to play, obviously, men's football. But I think it's still those players that are away need that challenge. And then I suppose the players that are left were a little bit younger and now need that challenge to step up to the 21s and go and, and compete at that level. So it's definitely like, I mean, from my point of view, from a physical point of view, it's definitely the best approach because you get 21s footy and, and what it's like, but then obviously men's footy in League 2 and League 1 is obviously a different kettle of fish altogether. And then you add that with stuff like um, just the density of games and the, the amount of times they have to go Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, and get them used to that, which is like we said, it's those two game weeks just exposing players to two game weeks I'm sure I saw it might have been um, I saw Eric uh, Ramsey present um, a similar thing just talk, talked about getting players games uh, when he was at Chelsea just getting players two game weeks and, and trying to get the young players to cover the same kind of demands or expose them to the same demands as the first team players so it was like getting people like I mean getting people to cover or do the play the same amount of games as, as what their first team boys are playing. Um, and I thought that was really interesting in terms of um, in terms of developing players and just getting used to that. Because at, at the end of the day, it is, it's playing games is, is what you need to expose them to. And people say, like, people go through it and it's like, oh, well, we need to make sure they're topped up from, you know, just from a numbers point of view. And I'm like, well, actually you know, potentially the bigger problem is they could be missing out on a games program. And like the, the game is the teacher in it. The game is where yeah. you're, you're going to get, you know, the vast, vast majority of your experience in your development. I mentioned at the start of the episode that the presentations from our Celtic event from Head of Sports Science, Anton, we've got uh, Head of Fitness and Conditioning, John Curry, and also Sports Scientists from the B team up at Celtic, Andy Bowles. Their presentations will all be available to watch back on our community very soon. We've also had a good few members joining the community recently from Morecambe, the Norwegian FA, Kilmarnock, and Arsenal, along with a, a number of others that have joined us in the last few days. So the community is growing all the time. And it's great to see because it really does improve the strength of our community, but also allows coaches to connect with other coaches from all different sorts of levels um, right the way through the football pyramid. So it gives you a really good opportunity to grow your network within the game. If that sounds like it's for you, if you want the very best football fitness information, the very best content, and also the chance to connect with, with coaches right across the world of football, go to footballfitfed.com. Click the community tab, sign yourself up there, It'll give you a free month on our online community so you can see what it's all about. After your free month, you only pay £4.99 per month going forward. You get continued access to everything that's on there. You also get access to our members WhatsApp group where there's constantly conversations going off in there about all sorts of different topics, really valuable topics, including some job opportunities that pop up every now and again as well. So go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign yourself up there and claim your free month. Here's part two of the podcast with Ronan Kavanagh. I suppose just jumping back to what you're talking about, Warren Joyce, his perspective in the academy as well, what you just mentioned about 23s players going out on loan, basically freeing up places in that squad, younger players stepping in. 
that kind of fits in line with the philosophy anyway then, doesn't it? Because they, they, we're then stressing those players even more, getting them ready for that step up again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's getting that our coaches, like, they'll call it like a challenge point. It is a challenge point, right? It, um, and all that. And it's kind of, um, yeah, making sure that's right, making sure it's not too difficult, making sure, and, and it's finding a sweet spot, where you, you know what I mean, where you've got, just enough of a challenge, but you're given the opportunity to improve and develop with it as well. This is where I suppose it's case by case, isn't it? It's individual basis. Um, and then it has, I know this isn't necessarily in the job description, but I suppose that's where the, the type of loan comes in as well, isn't it? What level they go to, um, what maybe even what style of play that that team are then going to go and play, what league they're in, all the rest of it. Yeah, hundred percent. That that's actually a big, a big part of it. And again, it's probably above my pay grade. But the academy manager goes into that detail, and it's like, right, well, do we think that one would be right? Yeah, well, this is how we play. This is what we're thinking. This is what we're saying. Um, and it just it just fits, and you kind of ask around, and like, some people have worked at various places, and it's like, yeah, I know, yeah, it'll be good for them because you need to know the player, you need to know where they're going, you need to know what they're like, you need to know what the manager, or the coaches are like, or what some of the players are like, and because it, you know, for every for every good loan you see out there, there's a couple of bad ones as well. So it's like, um, but when you do get it right, it can be unbelievable. It can like you can just see a player to go bang bang bang. Yeah. Yeah, you, do, you hear about all the successful ones, don't you? People sort of sweep the others under the carpet. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. But to be fair, at Forest, they've had some really successful ones over the years. I mean, before I got there or anything. Like, yeah. It was just, yeah, and they just stayed with them more. You know, it depends. Some players break in early. Other ones have significant loans. Um, some break in early and then go on a significant loan. Um and it's just, yeah, it's just finding what works, I think. And I, I do think, you know, you can have the best led plans, but it's rolling with the punches and it's opportunities and it's everything else. How does your role change when the players are out on loan? So if you've got an under-23s out on loan, like what sort of support do you give to them? Or is it a case of just staying in touch with the coach at the relevant club? Yeah, it's it's staying in, in touch. So Kieran Berry, who looks after the 21s for us now, he... Um, he liaises with the fitness coaches there and just gets gets eyes on their data. It goes into our spreadsheet and then you can just compare and keep an eye on and make sure lads are doing the same. And if, if they're not, then he'll either touch base with the lads or touch base with the fitness coach saying, what do you think? I mean, we're not, I was very much before, before I came here, it was very much right. Well, he's in your program. Now you look after him because you can't babysit them forever. But at the same time, you do need to keep an eye on it. It's, it's our job to be aware of what's going on with them. Um, but like I said, there's not a huge, there probably isn't a huge variation in what everyone's doing. Mm. You, you know what I mean? Particularly, you know, they probably have a Wednesday and a Sunday off, uh, you know, apart from maybe a couple. And then you kind of, um, the training kind of just fits fits the week. That, that's the way we operated at Burnley where, Tuesday was your working day, you were off on Wednesday, you had your Thursday and Friday and then played on the Saturday off Sunday, Monday secondary recovery. And mm. that, like, because we used to talk about stuff like, you know, when you're looking at weekly loads, we were, start, we were starting like a Monday and finishing on a Sunday and it's like, oh, well, maybe we should start on a Wednesday and 
finish on a Thursday or, or whatever. And it's like, well, I said, you actually can't change any of the days. We're working hard on a Tuesday. You can't put any more into the Tuesday, really. Thursday, we're tapering into the game. Friday's a minus one. Monday, you're recovering. So it's like, you know, manipulating those when when you can't really. Mm. Yeah, for, for the sake of it, a wee bit. Yeah. Just a bit of a change in topic, before I get you, your experiences, opinions on it, Bail banding, is it anything that you've looked to do in the academy that they've had experience with? What's your thoughts? Um, I know uh, Lewis Burchill at Forest, who's looking after our nines to 16s. He's, um, he's, he's been toying with it. Obviously, you have your um, early and, and late matures and stuff like that. And We had a bio banding month last season, which I think was, went pretty well. Um, in terms of that, it was like um, what he's done as well is he has so he he gives testing data based off chronological and biological age. So that's been really useful, and the coaches really like that because it just it just kind of gives them a little bit more information. Obviously, physically where players are at, and if you can push them, or if you probably shouldn't push them, um, and as well as that. Yeah, it just shows you who you potentially need to be more patient with. Um, I will say it does tend to fit, like we said before, it does tend to fit the coach's narrative because if it's a really small, good technical player, coaches are going to want to give him more time and, and the, the, the bioband or the maturation data kind of backs that up, which is fine because a lot of the times it is... It is um, is beneficial just to give a little bit more time to the smaller technical ones. But beyond that, I've, I've not got um, I've not got a huge amount on it. I know we've you know we've been patient with a few over the years. Again, even before I got there, it was just being patient and, and waiting for players to to develop. And then you ended up there's been quite a few success stories um, at Forest from that. Point. It's an interesting area, isn't it? Because some clubs are going pretty heavily in on it. Yeah. And then, like I, when we spoke to John McEwen up at Liverpool, uh, well, at the Liverpool event, but from Everton, he basically said they did it for a period, but knew the club weren't really going to sort of fully adapt that approach. So then, it, not that it gets dropped, but it's not something not going to be the priority. So it's different how different clubs are going about it. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And it's like, yeah, again, it's it's down to the preference of the club it's the coaches and, and it's it's like anything with players and everything I'm worried that we're starting to get like too technical and I'm starting to sound like a coach here as opposed to a fitness coach but it's like it, there's there's so many different kind of um, contributing factors to it like it's it, it is going to be hard to manage and it's not it's not going to get any easier I don't think it just mm. it's one of them where a lot of it is dealing with kind of experience and, and feel and everything else because people try to put data into everything and try to make data answer everything when like, it just can't. It's too, like, it's too multifactorial. Yeah, 100%. Just finally on that point, going back probably quite a few years now, you hear a lot of conversations with technical coaches in that decision sort of phase with players that would be asking questions around data and that'll probably inform a lot of decisions on whether contracts were dished out or not. 
Do you see that generally there's been a change with that? Is it is bigger picture sort of being looked at a little bit more now, or is that still similar? Yeah, I, I think so. It's like um, it's it's one of them where the data only probably serves to add a bit more depth to the decision you were going to come to anyway. If you said, oh, well, we're not sure about him physically, and then you show the physical data and you show, right, well, he doesn't do a lot of sprint distance, he doesn't do a lot of high-speed running, and you're like, right, yeah, that's kind of what we thought. You know, it's very rare where they say, oh, he's not physically, and you go, actually, stop these running stats, he's a monster. But mm-hmm. it's like, it's only, it's only probably backing up the coach's eye. And, you know, if it is massively against what, what the coach thought, the coach would probably come to the same decision anyway. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah, I, I can't see, and, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe they're doing it in other places. And, and like I said, in terms of academy football, I'm really kind of inexperienced, but it's like, um, you know, stuff like strength scores and, and stuff like that, you're, it's kind of like you're only backing up what, what you're seeing anyway, right? So you know that, you know, one of the smaller ones isn't as strong as, as one of the bigger ones. And it's like, yeah, well, we know that. You can see that by looking at them. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I might be wrong. There might be people who are saying, yeah, we base a lot of our stuff on physical data or, you know, game norms and stuff like that. But I don't think we're there yet. We're definitely not there yet. Yeah. Oh, Brill. Let's move on, mate. Let's go through some of the quick fires that we finished the, the podcast with. So first one is who have been some of the biggest influences on your career so far? Um, definitely Raylan Morgan's. Um, worked with him at um, Wales. Tony Shrodwick, again, worked with him at Wales. I'm really lucky like in terms of just the quality of people you end up working with. Adam Owen, really good. Um, I'll just, I don't want to leave anyone out. Tom Little, Mark Howard, um, and then like the gaffer at Burnley, Sean Dice was unbelievable as well. Brilliant. Some decent names in there, mate. Some decent names. Um, next one, what would you say your biggest strength is as a practitioner? Um, I think I'm all right on the grass. I think in terms of just... I think getting on with people. I think I'm, I'm like, I'm never too high or never too low with it. I feel like I get, I tend to get good buy-in and a good relationship with the players. Um, and I think I'm, I'm fairly relaxed with it. I'm fairly in control. I don't get too flappy or anything under pressure. I think I'm fairly, um, fairly level-headed. Yeah. Real. And what would be the top bit of advice if you went back to Ronan? A few years ago, starting out, what would be your top bit of advice to him? Um, to be fair, like I've I've been all right with, it, but I always say like because I say because my brother's doing similar role to me at um, Birmingham at the moment, but I say like always have kind of something else going on in the background. So like you see a lot of people who are like doing their job and yeah, brilliant, and kind of that's it. But like be doing your bases in the background, be doing your UKCA, make sure you've got something, just putting a little bit of pressure on in the background. Like I was probably 
the other way and that I had like way too much going on in the background and I ended up like putting myself under a bit of pressure because you're doing you're trying to do coaching badges you're trying to do uni on top of it and it's like right I'm not going to get stuff done here but it is good because like the time is going to pass anyway so like you know I started me deprof when I was at Burnley and like it just ticks away and ticks away and you end up now where it's nearly done Whereas, like, I could have just gone, no, I just focus on the work at Burnley. And, and, but we're, we're nearly at the end of it now. So, yeah, I'm glad I kind of did that. I'm glad I had something on in the back burner, just keeping me. It keeps you relevant as well because it forces you to read stuff and it keeps you on the ball a wee bit. There's definitely a balance to be found there, though, isn't it? Like you say, maybe early on in a career when you um not got as much going on you can you can sort of say yes to things can't you but then there has to be there has to be a line and a balance at some point as well yeah 100 100 once you get like yeah once you get and you have too much on life gets in the way done it but i think earlier in your career if you front load the 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 start of your career and you get a lot of stuff ticked off you're in a much better position yeah brilliant and tying into that taking you now to current day i always ask about cpd your approach um, in terms of continual learning. So how do you go about that? Is it, what's your sort of approach to, to that? Um, what I've started doing, so we've got a lot of interns in this year and I just tend to um, dip in and like use a lot of people I know who I know are really good and get to come in and, and speak to the interns or potentially like a nutrition intern um the other day i got her on a zoom with like um the nutritionist we had at burnley i'll set her up with the the one we have here at wales as well just so different ideas get floated around um try and get people into clubs when i can even though it is, it is quite hard and just try and and link people together a wee bit in terms of formalizing it um kieran's quite good at that with the with the interns, he's, he's got a more formal approach and that it gives him like tasks to do and stuff like that and on that side of things. Um, and then, yeah, in terms of beyond interns, in terms of other staff, it's just getting them through what we think would be beneficial for them. So Lou, for example, we're, we're torn a little bit between going um, between going bases or UKSCA for the moment and, and get that pushed through the club, but whichever one it is and whichever one we decide to be more beneficial for them we'll do that and and that's basically it just talking to people like it's it's what they're find out what they're interested in if they're really interested in, in doing their bases then yeah right let's do it will that be beneficial for the club yeah absolutely um and then i do like the idea of of tying in and getting some research done at the club as well in terms of right well what's the question what do we want to know and then figuring out obviously what processes we need to go through to answer that question. Brilliant. You've talked there about the team and staff. What about yourself? Um, well, like I, I'm muddling through my D prof at the moment, and I'm muddling through um, my A license. Um, once I get them boxed off, I'll I'll probably look to do my bases and stuff like that, and then just yeah, just keep checking stuff off but that comes from Ireland and Adam Owen where it's like um, you know I when I arrived in at Wales you know they both had their PhDs they both had 
pro licenses. So I was like, right, this is this is kind of what PUD looks like. This is the standard I need to get to. So like when I started the burn, I said, right, let's get on the I think even when I was at Preston, I might have started the D license. And then when I started at Burnley, I, I went for the D prop um, out of UCLan actually. And um, yeah, just kind of following them and seeing. But that's that's been really good because it's forced me to, it's just forced you to try new stuff and, and look at different things and to actually ask the questions. Yeah. Brilliant. Mate, that was quality. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for coming on. It's been a long time coming, this one, hasn't it? But it's great to finally uh, get it done. Yeah, 100%. Rona, if people want to reach out, if you've got questions or anything, where would you tell them to go? <laughs> In the yeah. nicest possible way. <laughs> um, probably, yeah, probably me Twitter, Ronan Cav 10 on there. And um, yeah, just shoot me a, a DM on that or whatever. I'll have to crack. Because I do, I love just like chatting sports science with people. Like it's, to some people, it seems boring, like, but it actually is all right. 100%. Mate, thanks a lot for your time. Cheers, mate. Top man. Thank you for listening to episode 206. And thank you to Ronan for giving up his time. He was um, away with Wales. Well, I say away with Wales. He's in Wales, but he was on um, the break with Wales on their camp at the time of recording. So I really appreciate him giving up the time and coming on the podcast. It's been a long time chasing Ronan down, trying to get him to come on and aligning our diary. So I really appreciate him coming on. I think there's some great value in this one. I think that the information around the approach he takes around club and country are very interesting. Not that everyone is going to be in a position where where they're doing both roles at the same time, but I'm sure there's a lot of coaches that have thought about whether it is a path they want to go down, whether they're currently working with a a country and they want to get into a club setting or vice versa. I think Ronan gave a great insight into the the differences between the roles. He also spoke about the networking benefits of working at Statsport. And I know there's a lot of people that are going into companies like that, that are similar to that, that are able to grow their network because of the amount of travel they do and trips out to clubs and all the rest of it. So that was interesting to hear. He spoke about the the youth or academy level being a really good educational opportunity for players. So that's the time where you can um, really expose them to different recovery methods, which is what we talked about in the podcast, um, different ways of training. And that's probably the time that they're going to be creating their own approach as they go into the professional game as well. He also talked about the two game weeks best preparing the academy players for professional or first team football as well. So something interesting to consider if you're in that setting, are your players getting that exposure um, week to week? Is that best preparing them for the game ahead and the challenges of first team football? And then also the fact we we spoke about testing and uh, Ronan said that testing is a great way of backing up a coach's eye. So relying on the coaching eye initially, because you're going to see, or coaches are going to see a lot of things, but then the data may just back that up. It may just give you the the reasoning behind you're seeing what you're seeing. And that's where you can have those conversations and the relationships become important. You can have these conversations around, actually, yeah, the data is saying the same sort of thing. So what do we need to put in play to to work on that, improve it, or, or how do we move forward from there? So... Some great information in this one from Ronan. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. 
Also, make sure to go and check out our sponsors, Rezzle. They were constantly putting up some great information. Recently, over on Twitter, posted some information around scanning. And obviously, VR is a great tool um, to train players around that. So go and check out all the work they are doing by searching at Rezzle, R-E-Z-Z-I-L, over on social media. Give them a follow. Give them some support. And a huge thank you to them for sponsoring the episodes. Like I said in the middle of the podcast, please head over and leave us a five-star review over on the podcast platform. I really would appreciate it. Click the five stars, leave a short comment, and then once you've done it, screenshot it and either send it over on social media. We are at Football Fit Fed on Instagram and Twitter. Um, or you can email it to mail at footballfitfed.com and we will send you over a free ebook as a gesture of thanks from us for leaving us a review. So go and check that out now. And a huge thank you again for listening. And we'll be back next week on episode 207.